0: If you're a leader of any sort, you could potentially abuse this. Um, The most effective way to modify someone's behavior is through guilt and shame. If there's something that you want to get somebody to do, or if you want to get them to live differently, guilt and shame are very, very effective ways to do it. However, you're also at the same time destroying the people that you're doing it to. It's incredibly damaging because here's what you got to think. Here's what you got to realize what you're doing. You're making hints to them. You're using guilt and shame and you're making hints to them that it's going to feel like some way like they're up on this stage in a dark room. All of a sudden a spotlight is turned on and the spotlight is shining on all the ways that they don't measure up and all the people that are around them can see it and immediately they feel shame about the ways they aren't measuring up. They feel guilt growing inside of them, and they say, oh my gosh, I don't want that to happen to me, so I'm going to change my behavior. And it's very effective, and it's very, very damaging. And it finds its way into churches, because people need to live a certain way, and it's very quick to change people's behaviors, but it's incredibly damaging, and it is, does not belong anywhere in the church. And I want you to know that the use of guilt and shame is happening on you more than you realize, and you are probably using guilt and shame on others more than you realize. Parents, we're doing this to our children. Spouses, friends are doing this to friends. Bosses are doing this to their co-workers or their employees. It's just happening everywhere. I can make this very clear to you actually how it happens through beer commercials and cleaning product commercials. So the most effective commercials, they get you to buy their product by tapping into your guilt and shame. So let's take moms. So moms want to be good moms. Um, And there's this thing called mom shaming that happens where other moms make other moms feel shameful that they are not good moms. And so this is all happening. moms don't ever feel like they have enough time to be a good mom. Well, All of a sudden, a commercial pops on the TV, and you're probably doing something, so you're not really listening, but all of a sudden it says on this commercial, you should buy our product because it's very effective, and if you're a mom, it's gonna help you be a better mom because then you're gonna have more time with your kids. In fact, it's gonna be such an effective product that you're gonna have so much time with your kids that all the other moms are gonna think, wow, this mom is an amazing mom, and basically what they're saying is we've got you covered, you're not gonna be mom-shamed anymore, and you are going to be seen as the best mom, but you got to buy our product. But if you do, we got you covered. So here's the number, call, or go to the store and buy it. And so, oh, wow, well, I don't want to feel like I'm not measuring up as a mom, so I'm going to go and buy that. Or for guys, the recent Bud Light commercial, you know, the dilly-dilly one? Yeah? Okay, so every man wants to feel like a real man. So what they're trying to show you is that if you drink craft beer, you're less of a man. You're actually kind of a girly man. So you better not drink craft beer. So the next time you go to a bar and you're going to buy a beer, you better order a Bud Light or everybody's going to think that you're a girly man. So you better buy a Bud Light. We've got you covered. Just put the Bud Light in your hand and everybody's going to know that you're a real man. You say, okay, well, I want to be a real man. So I will buy a Bud Light when I go to the bar. And it's very effective. Why is it so effective? Why is using guilt and shame on people so effective? Because, listen, here's why. Because no matter how much you fight it, no matter how much someone tells you that they love you, there's something deep down in you that you know, there's something about you that you feel incredible shame about, and you wonder, but if they only knew this about me, would they still love me? And would they still accept me? You can go to counselor after counselor. You can tell yourself over and over and over again that you are acceptable, but deep down you have this incredible fear that you don't belong and you can't seem to shake it. Our text today is going to tell us where this guilt and shame come from and then what we ought to do about it. So where it comes from, what we ought to do about it. So if if you want to stop being manipulated by people around you that are using guilt and shame. If you want to stop being controlled by guilt and shame, you got to hear what this has to say. If you want to stop manipulating others and motivate them out of a deep heartfelt change, you got to hear what this text has to say. And if you just want to stop being controlled by the guilt and shame that you fear in your, feel in your life, you got to hear what this has to say. So, I'm going to read it for you. We're in Genesis, so we're still jumping around between Genesis 1, 2, and 3. So Genesis 2, 25, and then we're going to jump to chapter 3, verses 6 through 13, and verse 21. Here's what it says. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Jump to chapter 3. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I've commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Verse 21, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin, skins and clothed them. All right, there's a very incredible, incredibly important verse. It's verse 25 in chapter 2, and it's the linking verse between Eden, where everything is as it's meant to be, as it should be. Everything is good, and then this fall of humanity where everything goes wrong. And the linking verse is verse 25, where it talks about them both being naked and unashamed. They're unashamed. And what that's hinting to us is that later we're going to see them feel deep. Incredible shame when they eat the fruit of the tree. Now, this is, now I want to be clear here. This is not to say that nudist colonies most reflect Eden. This word for naked, both words for naked, there's two words. They're actually two different words. So the first word is in chapter 2, verse 25, and this has to do with feeling like exposed. You're naked, but you don't feel guilt. The second word has to do, after they have eaten from the tree, has this feeling of being naked, exposed with guilt upon you. Like you feel this incredible guilt, this incredible shame, because you can be seen as guilty, as not measuring up. And it's the kind of shame that makes you feel like the spotlight is on you. And on you in the ways that you are terrified of that spotlight being on you. So, You think about the the most shameful, you know, and I'm telling you to do something that you're terrified to do right now. Think about the thing, the sin, whatever it is, that causes you the most shame in your life. The thing that you wouldn't tell your spouse about, you wouldn't tell your closest friends about, you would not tell your parents about. Think about that thing. Now imagine you're in the middle of this sin, And then all of a sudden you find yourself up on a stage with a spotlight shining right on you and all of the people closest to you can see you in the midst of this happening. That is what Adam and Eve felt. That is the shame that they felt. And that's what guilt produces and it's our biggest fear and we can't even bring ourselves to look at it. We're closing our eyes to it. And then, so Adam and Eve eat of this tree and then immediately... They feel naked and ashamed. Like they feel like they are in a place where they do not belong anymore. They hid their shame because they had this overwhelming feeling that they did no longer belong in Eden. The place where everything was right. And that's what shame does to you. It makes you feel like you don't belong. And there's this common correlation, um, like you're sweating, like the slang word for a prostitute in church, like you've heard this before. So why is she sweating? Because she's in a place where she doesn't feel like she belongs and she doesn't want to be found out. She's terrified that everybody's going to know what she is, and so it's making her terrified sweating. The fear, it's this fear of being an imposter and then being found out that you are an imposter. An imposter. If you say to yourself, if people only knew this about me, what would they say? I'd be banished. Listen, I want you to know this. No matter what, you belong in the church. And no matter what, you belong in the kingdom of God through faith. No matter what you have done, no matter the amount of shame that you feel for what you have done. So, as soon as Adam and Eve feel this shame, what do they try to do? What are they trying to do? They feel the weight of the shame. What do they do? They cover themselves up. Now, now think about this for a minute. They've both done the same thing wrong. They both have shared in the same thing, but yet they still feel this shame. And so they cover themselves up. They're feeling the weight of it. They're coming themselves up. And apparently, this covering that they have made is enough to make them feel less ashamed around each other, but then... Then they hear the sound of God coming and they realize there is nothing that they have access to that's going to cover the amount of guilt and shame that they're feeling in their life. So they go hiding into the trees. There's a man in the Old Testament, his name's Isaiah. He's a far greater man than any of us could possibly be. And he comes into the presence of God and this like, this thing is happening. He's coming into the presence of God and he says, woe is me. And he just feels the weight of his sin, the weight of his guilt, the weight of his shame. So they hide their shame from each other, but not from God. Listen, I mean, think about what's happening here. They're in Eden, the place of great delight, and God is the one who can be their great delight. And so what are they doing? They're hiding themselves from the only one who can give them delight, but they can't seem to help themselves but do it. The weight of their shame is driving them away from the only one who can make them happy. But they can't seem to help it. And so they go running into the trees, they go hiding. They do not want to be seen by God. But God is the only one who can offer them the deepest delight that they long for in their soul. Humanity has been hiding from God ever since. Ever since. The first sin is the prototype for every other sin. And the result of this first sin is to feel the shame, the weight of it that makes you want to run from the only one who can make you happy. Why do you not feel happy in life? Because you're running from God. Why are you running from God? Because you feel this guilt and shame. You can't help it. They run into the trees. Now, this is very significant that they're running into the trees. Trees are always depicting God's, our changing relationship with God. Trees are always depicting our changing relationship with God in these stories. So, uh, and by the way, Adam means humanity. Eve means life. And what we just see here is that now humanity has lost the life of, That they are made for and made to have with God. So the question, and and they feel the weight, they feel the anxiety of it all. So they run. Now here's the here's the question: Is the right response feeling the weight of your guilt and shame? Is the right response to run from God? Is the right response to hide? Is the right response to cover yourself? It depends. It's a complicated answer. Here's why it's complicated. It depends on what you make of God. Do you think he's gracious? If you do, you ought to run from him. If you don't, or if you do, you should, ought to run to him. If you don't think he's gracious, you ought to run from him. Christianity is trying to convince all of you that God is gracious, so run back. But we don't believe it. So, I want to show you four ways that you are running and hiding and covering yourself. And you're doing this. You're running, hiding, and covering yourself. You're doing it from each other, and you're doing it from God. So the first two are how we're covering ourselves and running from each other, and the second two are how we're covering ourselves and hiding from God. So the first one, you're run, you hide, I mean, you're, you're covering yourself from others. You're trying to cover your guilt and shame. So the same way that Adam and Eve felt shame around each other and covered each other the same way we're trying to do the same thing around each other. We're trying to hide our shame. The Bible has a radically alternative view of what we ought to do. The Bible has a radical alternative and it is absolutely terrifying. You want to know what it is? To confess your sins to each other. And it is terrifying. But look at what James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. The prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. Our natural instinct is to hide our sins from each other. Our natural instinct is to cover them and not let anybody know what's going on in our life, and what this is telling us is actually by confessing your sin, this is the most healing thing that you could be doing, but you've got to be vulnerable, and it is absolutely terrifying. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this. This, was, this happens in our discipleship groups, but if you've ever experienced something where you feel the weight of your shame and your sin, and you're in this group of people, and they're there for you, and the idea is, okay, let's confess our sins to each other, and so you're like, should I do it? Oh my gosh, this is terrifying. Am I going to do it? I'm just going to go for it, and you do it, and you've got this feeling like, am I going to be loved and accepted if I do this? What's going to happen to me if I say this? I mean, I'm going to be exposed, and so then you go for it, and when you go for it, you feel acceptance and love from people, but not only that, they pray for you. Our biggest fear is to be known and rejected, and our greatest hope is to be known and loved. If you can be in a community of people where that can happen, then they can pray for you. And then it's saying that you will be healed. Meaning this thing that's causing you shame, they're going to pray for you. Partly you're being healed because you're finding God's grace, and the other part is you're being changed by prayers. Of people. We don't really believe that's going to happen. But that's what it's saying right here. So maybe we ought to start just confessing our sins to each other. Don't start yelling them out loud right now. I'm talking about like in a group of people where like you trust these people. And so you confess your sins and then they're praying for you. And then perhaps with enough faith, I mean like this is saying the prayers of a righteous person bring about healing. Maybe that will begin to start happening. But we don't typically have the courage and vulnerability to do it. So we cover ourselves. And we paint this picture of not what we are or who we are but how we want people to see us. And there's an equally unhealthy alternative to this. Where instead of being vulnerable or instead of hiding your shame and not confessing, the alternative is to just confess it to everybody and say like, I don't really care, yeah. I'm a sinner, and I don't care. I don't have any shame about this. I'm just going to keep on doing this. I mean, this looks like I don't really care what anybody says about me. I'm just going to keep on doing whatever I want to do. And here's what this is. That is a pride that's also a way to cover your shame, except you're trying to just push it away. But deep down, that shame is still there, and it's still existing, and you're still not going to be able to shake it. So we hide our sins, we become like this stained glass masquerade, like we walk into the church, we want everyone to see us in a certain way, or we show everybody everything and we say, I don't really care. Equally unhealthy. And here's here's another thing that we do. So we cover our sins from ourselves. We cover our shame from ourselves. We won't look. Or we cover them up. How do we do it? Well, here's a sign that you're doing it. You have become incredibly judgmental of others trying to cover up your own shame from yourself. So you find these people actually in churches all over the world. They're incredibly judgmental, looking down on others while ignoring their sins. And let's, let me tell you this, we are all guilty of this to some degree. Every single one of us. You know how I know this? You know how I know that you're judgmental? Because it is incredibly painful to look at your own guilt and shame. And you got to figure out a way to not have to deal with the pain of it all. And a very, an alternative to dealing with it is to point out other people's guilt and shame. And by doing that, you, in a way, are trying to cover up your own guilt and shame. Because it's dulling the pain that you have, but at the same time, it's destroying you. With this judgmental attitude towards others. And here's what this environment produces. You've got this judgmental attitude, so you've got this environment of enough people are doing it. Here's what happens. Everyone feels guilty, but everybody's judging about other people's guilt, and everyone is terrified that they're one day going to be found out. But then one hero steps forward, confesses their sins, and they're vulnerable enough to do it. And then guess what happens? Everybody else just starts spilling their guts. And you're like, whoa, where did this come from? I'm telling you, it's, come on. Come on, you know, like deep down, no matter what, there's things about you that you are incredibly shameful about that you don't want anybody to know about. And what's saying is just confess your sins. Confess what it is. All right, so that's the first thing. We cover our sins from others. We cover our shame from others. Second, we just run from people. Or we run them out of our lives, or we just destroy them so we don't have to run from them. So you think about it like this. Are you a jealous person? Because let me tell you, here's what, jealousy, here's what jealousy is. When you're jealous of someone, someone is there, and they are shining light, not on purpose, but they are shining light on all the ways that you don't feel like you measure up. And as they're shining light on all the ways you don't feel like you measure up, you become incredibly jealous and angry at them. And they're really probably doing nothing wrong. Maybe they're just a better person than you. I don't know. So so you feel incredibly jealous of them. And so what do you do? Well, you start talking about them behind their back. Well, maybe they find out. And now, look, you've destroyed your relationship with them. We see this in the story of Cain and Abel. Cain becomes incredibly jealous of Abel because Abel is a faithful man and Cain is not. And he's... He's feeling the weight of it with God, and so what does he do? He kills Abel. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to kill people around you, but you're destroying them in some type of way because you're around them and you're feeling the weight of all the ways you aren't measuring up, and it's driving you crazy. Uh, Gossip is a result of this feeling because you feel the weight of you not measuring up, and when you can confess other people's sins, it makes you feel a bit better, and then you don't have to confess your own. You can just point theirs out. It's just another attempt to cover our own sins. All right, that's the second thing we do. We run people out of our lives. Third, this is with God. We try to cover our guilt and shame with God. Now, how do we do that? Because that's really the question. How are we going to cover this up? So Adam and Eve, or see, they're attempting to. Adam and Eve cover themselves around each other, but then they hear the presence of God coming, and immediately they're aware this is not going to work. There's nothing I can do to fix this. So what do they do? They take off running. But they hide behind the trees. So they're still trying to find some type of covering. So they're hiding behind the trees. Now here's the question I have to ask for you. What are the trees that you are using to hide behind What are you hiding behind with God? So it could be just your goodness. Like you're saying to yourself, okay, look, I know I've got this guilt and shame, but if I could do enough good stuff, I can make up for all the bad stuff that I've done. If I could do enough of that, then I won't feel this guilt and shame anymore. And so you go for it. But you're fooling yourself. Because eventually, you're gonna hear God coming. And you're gonna realize, ah, not working your goodness can't cover you you know that feeling after you sin and you wouldn't dare go and pray to God you know that feeling if you've had this before you know what you're saying when you won't go pray to God after you sin in that moment you know what you're saying I got to clean myself up a bit first I've got to make myself look a little bit better. I've got to make myself presentable before I go to God. And so you make yourself nice and presentable. You do enough good stuff, and you're like, oh, hey, God, I'm here now. He, he, he didn't want you then. He wanted you when you felt naked and exposed. He wanted you to come to him then. But you couldn't do it because you're trying to clean yourself up before you go. Or this, I cannot tell you how many times I've heard this to some degree. I'm going to come back to the church one day. I just got to clean myself up a bit. And maybe they don't say that exact way, but it's there. You can feel it in the way that they're speaking. Like they just don't feel worthy enough to come into the church. This is not at all the way Christianity works. Christianity is saying, God wants you to come to you while you're at your worst, while you're at your most exposed and ask for grace and stop trying to cover yourself up. Look, Luke 18. Jesus tells this parable of this guy that's trying to hide behind his goodness with God. And so here's, here's how it goes. You know, we have to learn from the sinner in this story. This is what it says. He also told this parable, Jesus is speaking about a parable, to come, to, he also told a parable to some who trusted in themselves That they were righteous, meaning they were good, and treated others with contempt. So here's what Jesus says. Here's the story. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. So a Pharisee is like a religious person. The tax collector is like considered a sinner in this culture. So the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. This religious guy says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. If you try to cover your guilt and shame with God by your good works, you are just like this Pharisee. But if you will come to God knowing that you cannot bring a goodness that is needed to cover yourself, then you will be like this tax collector and you will receive grace from God. And the other thing the Pharisee's is using is he's comparing himself to people that he knows are not as good as him. And by doing that, it's a way of covering up his own sin. He's bargaining with God. He's saying, God, look, 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 look at this guy. Look at this guy over here. Look at this guy. You see him? You see him? Now look at me. Aren't you glad that you have me, God? aren't you glad that I am here in your kingdom to do great things for you, God? That's not what God wants. He wants the tax collector. He wants the attitude of the tax collector. God, God, have mercy on me. In Isaiah 6, there's a, Isaiah 64, 6, it says, um, I always have a hard time talking about this. Uh, It says, our best deeds are like dirty rags to God. Like the best things that we do now, like dirty rags is speaking about um, this thing that happens to women once a month and then they use the stuff to clean up. So, oh man, it's just always so awkward to say that and I'm making it worse by talking about it. But anyways, so what, what it's saying is that God is saying all the good stuff that you do, it's like you're covering yourself with that. If you're trying to use your righteousness to prove that you're acceptable, it's like covering yourself with all of these dirty rags. All right, so if you will finally come to the realization, this is the fourth thing, if you'll finally come to the realization that there's nothing good that you can do to get acceptable to God, to cover your guilt and shame, then you run from him. This is the fourth thing. If you say, there's nothing I can do, I'm gonna run, so you run. Because you don't think God's gonna be gracious. Now, th- now, now think about this. Think about what's happening here. So Genesis 1 through 3 has been saying that Eden, and where God is, is where delight is. And you have this shame, and you want to get away from God because of the weight of the shame, but you also want delight, but you can't stay there because you just feel the weight of it Also, So what do you do? You say, well, I got to run. So what do you do? We'll say, I, if, if I run from God, I'd, one, I don't have to deal with my guilt and my shame anymore. And if I run from God, maybe I could find something else that can maybe make me almost as happy as God can. And so then we go out on this pursuit, running from guilt and shame, running from God, and trying to find something other than God that will make us happy. I actually think that's the most rational thing to do if you don't think God is gracious. But if you think that he is gracious, the worst thing to do is to run from him, and the best thing to do is to run to him. And, and have you, there's a type of person that doesn't believe in God, that hates people who believe in God. Why? Because why couldn't they just say, oh, well, I'm just happy that someone has found something that they can hope in. There's a type of person that says, "I, I have to be mad at this, because if there is a God, then I have to deal with my guilt and shame, and I do not want to be reminded about that. So there is no God, and don't you dare come around me saying that there is. Because the weight of our guilt and shame will crush us if we believe that there is a God who will not be gracious. We are all looking for ways to deal with our guilt and our shame. We're desperate, and our most natural responses are the most harmful for us to do to run and to hide and cover ourselves from God. But the the most unnatural response is actually the best response and the most beautiful response. It seems like the dumbest thing to do, but it's the best thing to do, and that is to come to God naked, exposed, with your shame. Well, actually, what you actually do is you go to Christ naked and then he clothes you in his perfection and then you go to God the Father clothed in the perfection of Christ. See, what happens here is God always supplies what he requires. God requires something of you. He's going to supply it for you. And it's always found in Christ that he does this. So in, our, in, in the text, listen, in the text, we see two hints of this happening. The first hint is is that they go and run and hide in the trees. This is so important. They're running and hiding in the trees. That's the first hint of, what, of, of this, actual, this radical, astounding way that God is going to cover us with sh- cover us so that we're not feeling shame anymore. So the first is the trees. The second is this animal skin. Now, now watch this animal skin. Here's what happens. At this point in the creation story, at this point in the creation story, Nothing has died. Death has not ever happened. But then God comes to Adam and Eve in their guilt and their shame and he institutes death so that they can have their shame and their guilt covered. Oh man, so those are the hints. Now, fast forward. You are fleeing into the trees. You're fleeing away from God. You're hiding in the trees. And you know who comes to get you? Jesus Christ comes for you, except he stops at a specific tree, the cross. And then on that cross, he becomes this sacrifice. And as he is sacrificed for you by faith, what happens is now you become clothed in him and in his perfection, and now you go walking up to God in all of his perfection. So, so. Now, listen. No, listen. Like in your soul. Can you hear God calling to you? He is calling. Don't hide. You are clothed in Christ. Go out to him. And be with him. Forever. Father, we thank you so much that you have sent your son for us to be our covering, to be our perfection. So now the shame and the guilt we feel in our life, we don't have to deal with them because you've dealt with them. You've supplied us with the clothing required to cover us so now we don't have to feel guilt or shame coming to you. We can just come to you as we are and we can be with you and we can experience delight from you. And God, help us to see that if there is a part of us that is not coming to you, that it's probably because we're not trusting in your grace and we don't think that you've actually covered our shame. So God, now show us that you have. Give us the gift of your spirit to give us the gift of faith so that we might believe this is true and so we might come out of hiding and come to you and be with you forever. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.